Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. Navigating the world of health insurance can be pretty daunting, especially as solopreneurs or when you start to add staff. And so we're really excited to have Scott Dowling, podcaster and insurance broker in health insurance on the show today to give us some of the ins and outs and how to navigate that world. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Colin. It's my pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure to meet your audience. Um, I've been in the insurance business for over 30 years. Um, My uh, youngest would call me an old man, but uh, not yet that old. Um, But I've been in the business for a long time, seen a lot of uh, uh, ins and outs, um, what works and what doesn't. I've been uh, mostly in the employer-employee side. Uh, I have dealt with associations, um, and uh, so that gets down to individual insurance to some extent. Uh, but uh, it's basically been health insurance. I've been in. I've done a Medicare supplement in the past. Um, done life and disability and that kind of thing. Uh, dabbled in property and casualty, but that's a completely different animal. Um, but I am well versed with uh, all the health insurance. Um, from an employer group side and uh, from the employee side. You mentioned you've been in it for over 30 years now. I was curious how the health insurance landscape has changed over that time. Wow. You know, um, I saw that question. Um, I can, it's changed a bunch. I mean, in in the last 30 years, it's changed a bunch, but I can go all the way back to the beginning. I mean, my podcast is called Docs Cost, D-O-X-C-O-S-T, Docs Cost. It's the ultimate guide to health insurance. And the first couple episodes, I go back to the history of health insurance. I mean, basically started out in uh, in Dallas uh, at Baylor Hospital, and they had a bunch of empty beds, and they were trying to figure out how to fill the beds up. So they basically went out and went to uh, teachers in, in, uh, in, in the Dallas area and sold them a prepaid plan and said, you give us 25 cents a week and you come to our hospital and you'll be taken care of. That's, that's how mm. Blue Cross started. That's the, that's the wow. origins of Blue Cross. Uh, and, the, and the Blue Cross is the hospital side. Up in the Pacific Northwest, it started out as, um, as doctor services, physician services. And it was uh, plans that were sold to loggers in the same vein. And that's how they got to be Blue Shield. And then back in the middle 80s, uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield joined together as one company, and then they operate separately in every state. It's almost like a a, a licensee situation, which is what they call it. But it's sort of like being a franchise, sort of not. Um, but that's changed. I mean, I can go back to it used to be that uh, all state sold health insurance and Metropolitan sold health insurance and Prudential sold health insurance company. I worked for a long time ago, CNA sold health insurance. I was at a meeting at CNA down on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, probably back in 1992, 91, 92. And the CEO was addressing a lot of the employees. And he said, the days of the multi-line insurance company are over. And that's when there was a big consolidation going on. Um, you can go in, you can go back into the, the, the Medicare Act of 1965 is when I think everything changed. And Medicare um, was finally implemented and people over 65 could get insurance through Medicare instead of trying to do it on their own because they no longer had employer-sponsored insurance. 
but the the companies are completely different. Everything's consolidated. Um, their government regulation, insurance is regulated by the states, but the government regulations gotten a little bit um, more robust on the federal level. And that goes back to like uh, ERISA as the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. That was back in 74 and amended in 84. COBRA, everybody hears about COBRA. Um, COBRA is the Consolidated Omnibus, Recon- Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1985. Um, that basically says that you can't get kicked off your employer's insurance if you separate from the company, whether you quit or whether they fire you or you're laid off or whatever it may be, you still have the opportunity to stay on the insurance if you pay the full price. That that came into effect. That was big. Um, HIPAA was the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. That happened in the 90s during the Clinton administration. Um, that basically, that was, that was known as the Kennedy Casabon bill. So back when things used to be bipartisan, Nancy Casabon was... Uh, a Republican senator from your neighboring state over there in Kansas, and then Ted Kennedy, obviously, in Massachusetts, and they put a bill together. Um, HIPAA has to do with privacy, and a lot of people hear the privacy stuff, but it's a Health Insurance Reporting Billion Accountability Act. And that basically said that if you are an employer with at least two employees, that um, you cannot be turned down for insurance. If you apply for it, you must have it issued to you by any insurance carrier that offers coverage in your state. So, you know, speaking to some of your listeners out there who may be wanting to form a group or they may be an individual looking to add employees, HIPAA basically says that it has to be guaranteed issue. And that's long before uh, the Obamacare stuff came around. So everything's changed. I mean, you know, the, the one, I'm actually an alum now. My first job out of uh, school was to work for Metropolitan Life in Chicago. And our largest client was Amico. And we were in the Amico building. We used to ride the elevator 35 35 floors below. And we'd go for a meeting. And we insured the 50,000 employees of of, uh, Amico. Which is standard oil of Indiana, you know. I mean, now BP has it and all that stuff. But um, And now uh, Metropolitan got out of the business a long time ago. And uh, they went to life insurance and PNC and on the small PNC, but um, Metropolitan was, they merged with travelers. They merged their group insurance business with travelers and uh, became Metra Health. And then Metra Health was purchased by United Healthcare. So there's been all kinds of consolidation. I mean, now you, you have something called the BUCAs. Um, it's Blue Cross, United Healthcare, Cigna, and Aetna. B-U-C-A. That's the acronym everybody uses. Um, Blue Cross is, like I said, it's completely independent across the United States. Um, some of them, Anthem, Blue Cross is kind of, that's standard, or them standard. That's um, uh, Blue Cross of Indiana merged with Blue Cross of California. Um, so there's a lot of consolidation on the blue side, but there's limited numbers of carriers anymore. So yeah, it's changed a bunch. With that, you mentioned several acronyms and terms, and I think that's one of the places where a lot of us get tripped up when we start looking at insurance or trying to understand what's going on. So what are some basic terms that everybody needs to be familiar with when we're talking health insurance? Well, um, I actually had a couple of uh, episodes on that. I think um, episode 25 and 26 on DocsCots, if you look that one up, but uh, it was EPO, HMO, EPO, uh, WTF and uh, NVM. So the, the whole thing is about all of these goofy acronyms and what do they mean and what do they what do they do and what are they for. So in the, I'll throw a couple others at you: um, HSA and HDHP. 
So, um, you know, PPO is preferred provider organization that really started back in the early 1980s. And it was to give doctors a way to gain patients. It was to gain scale. It was to get the, the volume and they would give. So there would be a, a preferred provider organization that somebody would start. And it didn't have to be a, a hospital or a doctor and it wasn't necessarily an insurance company. In fact, one of the largest um, operators of networks is a company. It's a publicly traded company out of New York City called Multiplan. And very uh, outside of the insurance business, you wouldn't know what multi-plan is, but multi-plan goes to the doctors and hospitals and they, they create so-called networks. Um, PPOs, when they started back in the eighties was to give volume to doctors. It was sort of like what Blue Cross did down at Baylor hospital. They needed business. So they said, okay, well, you know, you bring us all of your employees, you give, you bring us the, the, um, 500 employees in Sedalia. And we'll give you a discount on what we charge. And then the doctors say, great. And then the, the operator turns around and goes to the insurance company and says, I've got all these doctors that'll take a lower amount for the charges, you know, for an appendectomy or an office visit or whatever it may be. They'll give us a discount on what they charge. If you sign this contract and I bring all your insureds, your 500 insureds to them. So that's what they did. That's that's what a PPO network is. It's just a list of doctors that agree to charge a certain amount or a group of hospitals that agree to charge a certain amount based on that contract. So the PPO is not necessarily a plan of insurance. It's basically a, like, I like to say, so-called network. It's just a list. It's a list of doctors, a list of hospitals that agree to charge a certain amount of money. And under that PPO agreement, one of the issues that's going on now, and they talk about all the surprise billing and balance billing and all that kind of stuff, that's because the PPO agreement or the HMO, I can go to the HMO in a second, but those agreements say that you cannot disclose any of the information that's in this contract. You can't disclose what you charge. So, and the HMO is the same way. It's a list, but HMO started Henry J. Kaiser. And sir, you might've heard of Kaiser Aluminum, Kaiser Steel. Well, that's Henry J. Kaiser. He was a, he was an industrialist and he was, um, he was out in New York and then he's, out in California, Pacific Northwest, he started a um, a hospital in, I believe it was Emeryville, California. It's up in the East Bay. And um, he started a hospital for the employees. And he said, you come in here, you know, you're, you're an employee, you come to our hospital and you're taken care of and we'll pay for everything. That's the original HMO. And the HMO, when Kaiser started and Kaiser Permanente is still out there, it's not really affiliated with um, Kaiser, um, the company anymore. It's a separate entity. Um, and there's Kaiser family foundation and all that stuff. And that's separate as well. Um, but the, um, when Kaiser started the HMO, you had to go to the Kaiser hospital. You couldn't go to a doctor you wanted to see. You couldn't go to, you know, anybody of your choice. You had to go to the specific place, the specific hospital, and you got your doctor's care and you got your hospitalization and everything else. And that's how um, they started bringing it in. I think some of the teachers out in California and some of the other stuff, um, some of the other groups, and they would go into the Kaiser plan, but then they couldn't see anybody else. It was a self-contained little deal. That's how HMO started. And then when the PPO, that, and, and 
actually back in the Nixon administration, HMOs were required to be offered by employers by law. That's another one of the changes. I mean, you ask how things have changed. Um, and and uh, Nixon, the Nixon administration said, if you're an employer and you have this many employees, you have to offer uh, an HMO, have to, by law. And you can also offer other insurance, but you have to offer an HMO. And people started using the HMOs a little bit. And then when the PPOs came around about 10 years later, the doctors were like, I'd rather be doing the PPO thing rather than be doing the HMO thing. And people started, you know, the, the insurance companies that um, that leased the networks, the employers that went on there, um, they started to go after the PPO. So the HMOs started, started to lose favor. And then what happened was the HMO kind of morphed into a sort of PPO. And that meant that if you were on the list, you would have coverage. If you weren't on the list, then you could go to that doctor, but you wouldn't have any coverage. It was like an all or nothing proposition. So it was almost like an HMO. If you go to the hospital and then it's their hospital, you're covered. If you go to some other hospital, you're not covered. This is sort of like that. But HMOs have kind of gone by the wayside. Is that where the idea of in-network and out-of-network coverage starts coming in when we look at our policies? Correct. Yeah. I mean, in-network, in um, like I said, it, network is just a list. It's not like they're all affiliated and they're all chummy and they know everybody else. It's they're on a list and they're on a list that says that, you know, I'm going to charge this much money for an office visit, this much money for a surgery. And the hospital is on the same list. If you're on the list, you're in network. If you're not on the list, you're out of network. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Claire from Acton Criticizers has this to say. Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show can get 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com forward slash confessional. The thinking more broadly about insurance coverage was was wondering how it fits in with how we run and operate our business and other insurances that we may have. Sure. Um, well, the when you run a business, and obviously you run one, I run one. Um, there are certain things that are required if you have a, a you know if you lease your property or if you buy and you have a mortgage. Um, if you if you want to have a car or any other equipment, there are certain things in the contract. There are certain things in the lease. Say so you must produce property coverage at, at a, this amount, or if you have a mortgage, you must have this covered for this amount. If you want to have a contract with some other provider, some other partner, they're going to say, "Hey, you need to have liability insurance at this much money." You know, at this level, um, you certainly want to have errors and omissions coverage. So the business side. It's completely separate from um, from the health, life and health side. So when a business owner goes into business, first thing they're going to do is get they're going to get a property coverage. They're going to get liability coverage, general liability coverage. Then they might get more specific coverage like professional liability, which is also called errors and omissions. You might, if you're you know, if you have shareholders and that kind of thing, you might get something called directors and officers coverage. If you have employees, you might get something called employer practices liability coverage. If you're online, you might get cybersecurity coverage. That kind of thing, and the you know a lot like I mean the, 
pet sitters, I'm, you know, I'm generalizing here, but you're not the same thing as a Petco or a PetSmart or some, some other company that provides services to pet owners. It's the same thing for insurance. Life and health and PNC are like two different animals, completely different. The risks are different. The carriers are different. The brokers are different. The policies are written differently. The premiums charged are a lot different. So, um, you know, from a business owner standpoint, you're going to have all your property casualty liability. And then from the life and health side, those are kind of nice to have things um, versus the ones that are required by the by the you know by your partners or by your landlord or your your bank so in the but on the business side you want to take care of your employees you want to take care of yourself and you want to take care of your employees um so on the on the life and health side for a business you would look at something along the lines of health insurance is usually primary and then dental insurance follows that um, life insurance is important as well. They all serve different functions. One of the things that I think is very important that a lot of people miss is disability insurance. And disability insurance is basically um, covering your income. It's insuring your income when you can't work, but it's insuring your income. That's all it's doing. I mean, life insurance is covering your income when you're gone. You know, you're no longer there. You have no means of 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 generating any income for yourself through work and you have to cover your debts. You got to provide for your rest of your family over the rest of the years and everything else. But disability income often gets overlooked. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff there. Employers can also look at retiree medical insurance. I mean that, you know, there, there's, there's other things, there's other supplements that go into it. I, I don't know if that fits for, you know, your, uh, your listeners, but um, there's all kinds of other ancillary life and health coverages that go into it that are, that are part of a business plan. If you're, you know, if you're a large employer, smaller employers tend to stick it, it to health insurance, dental insurance, life insurance, maybe disability insurance, maybe um, even though I think those are, are really important. Yeah. I think disability insurance gets overlooked a lot because uh, that's an, something that many of us don't consider that's not in our risk management uh, thought process when we're looking at how to cover ourselves. We're looking more at the here and now. And so, yeah, reminding ourselves, well, you know, there may be a time, especially in this industry where if you're walking dogs, you get bit, you get pulled down, you break a shoulder, or you break a leg or something like that, where all of a sudden you are, no, as you said, no longer able to generate income. It's a big fear for many independent business owners who, if the business relies on me, what am I going to do whenever I get hurt? Well, sure. having something like that, that kind of coverage really does help, help those fears. There, there is something called workers' compensation coverage. Um, but when you get into a sole proprietor or where you are the owner or officer of the company, generally speaking, the workers' comp doesn't cover those types of employees because you're, you know, you're basically making a claim against the, uh, the owner of the company They're the, you know, the, that's how it, that's how it's seen as you're basically making a claim against you know, the, the owner and you really wouldn't be doing that as the right. owner. You wouldn't be suing yourself. Right. <laughs> what are my options for insurance? If I am self-employed and I'm running my, and operating my business by myself, because many people, feel like they're they, they don't know where to start because you know we're always used to getting it from an employer or either not having it and so I've started my business I'm I'm looking to get coverage what what are what kind of options do I have well in you have you have a few 
I uh, wouldn't say you have many, you have a few. Um, it, the way that Obamacare has kind of changed the, the landscape a little bit, you're probably as a sole proprietor, as an individual, you're going to be going through one of the exchanges. Um, and that's where most of the, most of the individual coverage is available. The other thing to remember and with insurance, I kind of alluded to it before is there states govern insurance. So every state is different and every state has different carriers. So it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Um, the federal government oversees some of it. And obviously the Obamacare, um, you know, it's a patient protection, affordable care act is the technical term for it. That. That is the law of the land. Um, the way it's been um, enacted, some states have exchanges, some states went with the federal exchange, um, and not all carriers want to play. So there are some, that's what I mean by the the, the options are limited. Um, there are some that are off exchange, but it depends on where you live. It depends on, it can even depend on what county you're in. Um, you could get off exchange plans, but you'd have to search for those. I mean, the easiest thing to do, one of the ways that I look um, when I'm looking and, and I'm not endorsing this organization, I used to compete against them, but I'm not endorsing them, but they do offer a good search tool and that's ehealthinsurance.com. They'll, if you put in your zip code and everything else, you can see what plans are available and it'll show you on exchange, off exchange, if there are any off exchange. If you're an employer, um, then the, there's a couple different things. There are still some association plans, depending on the state you're in and depending on where you're at, there's still some state plans that there are association plans in your state that you can get involved in. So, um, some chambers of commerce had the plans available. It all depends on what they're doing, how they interpret, how the state interpret, uh, interprets the, the um, affordable care act and what they do with it. But you could get down to one life. And when you look at group insurance, it's usually, like I said before, with the, um, with the HIPAA, the Kennedy Catasbaum bill, um, that went down to two employees. So if you were a sole proprietor, you weren't covered under HIPAA. Obamacare goes down to one employee being guaranteed issue. So you can, you're never going to get turned down for insurance at all. So if you apply, you can get it. Um, what the premium is, is a different story. So, um, and then there's the subsidies, subsidies and everything else that go with the individual exchanges. So there, there are, there are choices, um, but it's limited by the state you're in. Sometimes it's, you have more choices in a certain County, depending on who wants to sell in that County. Um, that's how a lot of the carriers look at things. Um, if you go into the, the group side, um, there are a lot of other choices um, but you need to have at least two employees. So if you have yourself and your spouse, depending on the state you're in and depending on what's recognized, if you have yourself and your spouse or a partner um, and you want to form a group, then you can name yourselves as the two members of the group. And um, like I said, it depends on the carrier, depends on the state. But um, you can do that. And what they, what they usually utilize is a wage and tax statement. So if you're a sole proprietor, sometimes you don't take wages. You just take, you know, quarterly payments as dividends or whatever it may be, depending on how you're structured, whether it's an LLC or C Corp, S Corp. <clears throat> so you wouldn't have a wage and tax statement that's being supplied to the state. So in lieu of that, 
the insurance company will take an attestation where you sign that you are an employee, you work 40 hours a week for the company, you don't take wages, you take distributions, however that may be. You could do that and still meet the two life group um, uh, underwriting um, recognition. And so it's like I said, it's up to the carrier. It's up to the, the state that the carrier's in. Are there any requirements that if I bring on staff, I have to provide health insurance? When does that kick in when it's a requirement of my company? Yeah, I mean, it gets, it gets into the 20, 30, 40, 50, where all the regulations kick in. So, um, but it, and it, and it, you know, it's what do you have to offer? How much can you offer? Um, what category do you fit in for the underwriter? So um, some underwriters do it at 50. You know, they'll do an under 50 group or an over 50 group, depending on, they'll look at experience. I mean, there's, there's plans out there that you can go down to two lives and be self-funded. So wow. there's a number of different options um, for those, uh, that category of employer and I, you know, I would, I would think if they've got 20 employees that you know, I would rather, I mean, I recommend to all employers that an employee benefit that is that far outweighs the cost is health insurance, the money that they spend on the premium. We, they, and they can, depending on the insurance carrier, whoever it may be, they could say, okay, we're going to cover 50% of the premium and the employee needs to cover 50% of the premium. At a minimum, some carriers would say, "No, we want the we want the employee to only have to pick up fifteen, and you pick up you pick up the other eighty five, and that has to do with collecting premium. They want to collect the premium. It's easier to get it from the employer than the employee. But the reason I say it's so valuable is if if you know if I've got a, a, a son or a daughter, and I'm, I can give you a for instance, and I actually covered it on one of my recent episodes, uh, my youngest broke his thumb and you think, Oh, that's no big deal. Well, um, he was playing rugby and it was, um, not just a small little broke. I mean, you look at it it looked like a broken thumb. He had nine screws and a plate put in it. Ooh. He had to go, he had to go for surgery. Um, and it didn't look, I mean, if you, if you saw it, you just saw, yeah, okay. It looks like it's swollen. It was in the same spot. It wouldn't, it wasn't you know, malformed or anything else, but, the, the after all was said and done, and when you talk about the, the PPO networks, the hospital bill the, without, without any discounts from the insurance carrier, which is, you know, I mean, you know, it's like double the price and I'll give you, I'll give you half off. They, they had the, the hospital charge, just the hospital charge, not the surgeon, not any of the anesthesia or anything else. Just the hospital charge was $40,000. Whoa. And they discounted it. They discounted it to 12,000. Oh, and then nice. you got the surgeon's fees. It wound up, it wound up costing about 16,000, I think in total. And it was just for a broken thumb. So, wow. you know, I mean, look at the premium that the employer is paying on your behalf yeah. and it might only be, you know, you might, well, you, the amount of money that you would pay for premium as the employee is going to, maybe it's a uh, hundred, 200 bucks a month. Right. I mean, it could be. It all depends on, on where the group falls and everything else. And you got to get it rated and everything else. But look at the benefit that we got from that because we don't have, right. we don't have to pay 16,000 bucks of our own pocket. Right. I mean, the risk is spread and everything else. I, I got a lot of that on the podcast too, but the yeah. benefit for that is immeasurable. So I would rather, rather than give somebody 
you know, a thousand dollar raise for this year, why don't you get it instead? If you don't have any health insurance, in lieu of giving a thousand dollar raise, why don't you give them health insurance? Hmm. Right. I mean, to me, there's a bigger benefit. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the business, right. And I'm not advocating for people to, to go out and buy insurance just to go buy insurance. There is a benefit to it. There's, there's risk. See, I, you know, one of the things I like to say is insurance is not gambling, right? <laughs> insurance is, is not, there's a difference between insurance and gambling. And, yeah. you know, what's, what's the risk right now when, when you get in the car and pull out of the driveway, what's the risk you can get in an accident? It might be, it might be, you know, one half of one percent today, right? But what's the risk? And and so there's risk. You have risk. You have risk of getting hit by a car walking down the street when you cross the street. There's risk involved, right? But what's the what's the risk of you rolling a seven right now? There's no risk. You don't have to roll the dice. It means nothing. You don't have to do it. There's there's no risk involved. So that's gambling is when you want to roll a, you put money down to roll a seven, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't roll a seven and you lose the money. Well, there's risk going down the street in the car. And, you know, you got a, let's say you got a five, 10, 15, $30,000 car. It could get wrecked. And all of a sudden you got, you know, you got liability for it. If you hit somebody or you ruin somebody else's car and all of a sudden the money starts to hit up, you have risk there. It's the transfer of risk. So, you know, there's risk involved in, in, in just daily living. And and for an employer to offer health insurance is going to mitigate that in an immeasurable way for any employee. It might not happen, you know, to every employee every day. It might only happen to one employee over the course of the next five years, but it's worth it. So, I mean, it, it, I would rather see them rather than give a raise if they have the means to do it, give them health insurance. Well, and especially in the market today of trying to hire people and bring them on, it's really rough. I hear it for a lot of people who are having trouble attracting the quality workers and the quality employees and staff that they're looking for. And so this could be a way to say, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not offering an additional $1,000, but we're helping you mitigate risk. Maybe, to, you know, spruce up the language a little bit more sure. than that. But offering sure. health insurance is, is a big thing. That, that, that's going to attract more people. Absolutely. And, 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 and for small employers, it makes you look like a large employer. It's no different. The benefits are the same. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, I think we've done a little bit, but exactly how to choose a, a, an option. Maybe give us a little bit of insight into your thought process of, of how someone could look at, they get on the exchange or they're looking at stuff for their employer, their employees. What's a good way for us to start thinking about what option is going to be best for us? given everything that's out there? Well, you want to be 100% covered. That's what I like to say is you want to be 100% covered. And by being 100% covered, I mean that no matter what happens, whether it's a broken thumb or whether you, you know, you have a, um, you, you have a first occurrence for cancer or whatever it may be, that you don't have any unexpected costs that you're going to have to come out of pocket for during, during the course of one year. Because insurance, it, it renews once a year. It's an annual contract. So you want to be 100% covered. So the money that's out of your pocket is the premium that you pay. And it could be, you know, if you're paying on your own through the exchange and you're paying monthly, then it's how much you pay every month. If you are, you know, you're an employee and your employer's picking up part of it 
It's how much are you paying per pay period? And usually it's 26. So how much money am I paying in premium? And annualize that. So if it's 12 months, it's 12 times. So if it's 26 periods, you multiply it by 26. You get your annual premium expenditure. That's one thing. Then the next thing is you look at your plan design and you say, okay, um, and do I have a you know I have a thousand dollar deductible, whatever the deductible is, take that, and then you have your coinsurance rate. And coinsurance is basically a sharing cost after you meet a deductible. The deductible is the money you have to pay it first up front before the insurance kicks in. Coinsurance is you're sharing the expense to a certain level. And then after you hit whatever the insurance policy says, once you hit the maximum out-of-pocket limit, then the insurance picks up at 100%. So what you want to cover is your deductible and your coinsurance. And I, you know, co-payments are in there too. And I'm not, co-payments are like a little bit of money that you pay and they make it sound like it's just a little pinprick and it's not going to hurt that much. So you pay $20 when you show up at the doctor's office and we'll take care of you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, to me, that's that's like coinsurance. I mean, if it's a hundred dollars, it's a hundred dollar charge, and you pay twenty, and the plan's paying eighty, and the doctor gets paid a hundred dollars, then that's twenty percent coinsurance. So a copayment to me is is a gimmick. It's still coinsurance. Um, so you, but you add up the deductible and the coinsurance, and that's how much you would the maximum out of pocket. And what I call that is the worst coop. The worst coop is the worst case out of pocket. And that's your, that's, so that's, if you maxed out, like we did with, with our son, with his, with his, with his thumbs, 16,000 bucks blew us out of the out of pocket maximum. So we had a certain amount we had to pay and we knew what that amount was. So if you look at that then you figure out, okay, what's my worst case? So you're going to cover the, you're covering the premium, you're covering the deductible, and then you're going to cover the coinsurance to the out of pocket maximum. That's how much I'm going to pay in any one year for for me and the family right if you're an individual it's a certain way if it's for an employee and a spouse you know or if you have a spouse or if it's an dependent or if you have complete family it's a little bit higher right all those all those numbers double but you want to figure that out once you figure that out you have to realize oh okay well i have to pay all this money after i paid uncle sam in taxes so you have to figure out what your tax rate is and you can you, know, you can go to my website and, and and listen to Doc's cost, and you'll find out you know it's uh, uh, where the IRS site is to find that. But it's pretty simple to find out your tax rates. Um, you're going to have to figure out. Okay, I need to earn this much money, pay Uncle Sam taxes, and then what I have left over, I can pay for my uh, I can pay for my deductible and my coinsurance. Okay, so you have to add in that tax amount too, because you have to earn that much, pay the taxes, and then pay your deductible, and then pay your coinsurance, right? And then that's how much so you you total that up. Then, if you're if you if you are like me and you you like this and it makes sense because to me it does, and I advocate for it all the time, is you get a high deductible health plan that is eligible for a health savings account. And when you do that, and the high deductible is not that high. I've got a, one of my most listened to episodes is don't fear the high deductible. Um, so the high deductible only has to be $1,400 if the employer offers it or if you can get it on the exchange. That's the minimum right now for an individual is $1,400, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of things. Um, 
So if you have a, a health savings account, you can pay your deductible and pay your coinsurance out of the health savings account. And the health savings account is not taxed. So the money you put in your health savings account is pre-tax. You don't get taxed on it. So when you look at a PP, regular traditional PPO or HMO, you have to earn the money, pay the tax, and then pay your deductible and then pay your co-insurance. If you have a high deductible health plan with a health savings account, you don't have to pay Uncle Sam any tax. So you're saving money on the taxes. And if you look at, you know, if you multiply in a 22% tax bracket, which is like, I think if you make below, uh, it's like 40,000 to 80,000, somewhere in there annually, depending on whether you're an individual or whether you're, um, whether you're married, filing jointly, um, you're going to save if you, the factors 1.28, right? So you need to make a um, $1.28 for every dollar you need to spend on your deductible and your coinsurance if you have a traditional HMO or traditional PPO. If you have a health savings account, you don't need a $1.28, you just need a dollar. So you're saving 28 cents for every dollar. So if it's a thousand dollar deductible, right, then you're you're saving um, one of them is a thousand dollars and the other one's twelve hundred and eighty. So you're saving two hundred and eighty bucks just because you have a health savings account. So you need to set the money aside. I advocate for health savings accounts all the time and high deductible health plans. So I mean that's that's where you figure out what plan works for me, what's best. Um, if you go to the doc all the time, or if you have a, if you have a, um, a, a situation where you got a maintenance drug and a lot of us take maintenance drugs and, you know, doc says to take these and, you know, it could be, you know, 10 bucks a month at Walgreens or something like that. Right. You know what your expenses are going to be. You can lay those out and you know how much you're going to spend. Um, but for accidents, and unforeseen, that's really what insurance is for, is for unforeseen accidents, like the broken thumb when he's playing rugby, right? So we don't know that's coming. We just know he's playing rugby. We don't know he's going to break his thumb. Thank goodness he didn't break his neck. Um, but, uh, um, you know, the, the, those are unforeseen, and that's what the insurance is really for. If you have a maintenance drug or, you know, I mean, if you say, okay, well, we go to the ER, you know, once a month. One that you hopefully you're not doing that, um, but two that gets expensive, and that that's difficult to 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 measure. You know that the, if you think okay, well I want a five hundred dollar deductible because I'm gonna I'm I I don't want to pay a lot of money when I go to the you know if I need it. Well, you're paying that in the premium. There's an inverse relationship between the premium you pay, which is upfront, and, and you know the higher the deductible, the lower the premium. So if your employer is paying 85% of the premium, or if you are an employer and you're paying 85% of your employee's premium, the lower the deductible, you're paying a lot more premium. So if you if you fund, you, employers can fund health savings accounts. They can contribute, anybody can contribute to a health savings account. So if you want to save money, you're trying to get a higher deductible or a higher out-of-pocket maximum to have lower premium. And then it's only when and if you have a claim are you paying, you know, a full boat? You're paying more, but even with a health savings account, you're paying less than if you were paying out of a taxable account with a PPO or an HMO. 
Are you a member of Pet Sitters International? PSI is the largest educational association for professional pet sitters and dog walkers with a mission to promote pet sitting excellence through education. After the tumultuous past year, having the support of a strong community and direct access to educational resources and business tools is more important than ever as we rebuild our businesses. PSI is here to help. With a free monthly member toolkit, monthly bonus resources, online trainings, private member Facebook group, and more, along with group rates on insurance and background checks, PSI is one-stop shop for everything you need for your pet sitting or dog walking business. As an educational association, PSI believes that if you know better, you'll do better and invites you to join thousands of other like-minded professionals who are committed to offering the best possible pet care services and elevating our industry. If this sounds like you, visit PetSit.com slash PSC to learn more. Our listeners can save $15 off your first year membership by using promo code PSC15 at checkout. Well, I think that that's a really important factor too it's it's the hsa and the high deductible you're saving money not just because they tend to be a little cheaper because that deductible is a little higher but also as you said that money is is pre-tax so you're not having to save extra to cover those costs and and i know that i just read a report about um how in the united states one of the things that what a lot of us are uh, know is that health insurance is, is we feel like it's very costly and it can be extremely expensive given some needs and things. So what are what are some recommendations that you have for people to to save money on health insurance and and how what things to look into? Well, um you have to look at the the different um offers that are out there. Like I said there's an inverse relationship between the amount of the deductible, the out of pocket maximum and and um what the premium is. Um but there are certain carriers that are going to charge you less. There are certain plans that may have um, less benefit. There's, there's because of Obamacare, it's basically leveled the field, and there's so many requirements. So the the differences are small. Um, but uh, the the carriers that are out there um, all have to be rated uh, by AM Best, and also some of the other. Um, and you can go to ambest.com there. They do all the insurance companies, but you want to have somebody that's there. That's going to be able to pay the claim. So just because it's a lower price doesn't necessarily mean that it's better coverage, but because of Obamacare laying everything out and making sure that all the, you know, you, you got to have the essential health benefits, all those things need to be covered. Um, as an individual, you you need to get a quote from every insurance company that's available to you, and then compare those. That's the easiest way to do it. It's not there's not a lot of differentiation between insurance companies. Um, on the employer side, uh, one way to save money um, is to go into what's called a level funded or a self funded plan. Um, and those are out there and they're not necessarily available from the, the traditional carriers. And you're going to want to talk to a, uh, an insurance broker for the most part to find out where those are available. And those come from, and I know in particular, I work with some that come from an association, a professional association. Now, I don't know what professional associations your listeners may belong to. It could even be go down to an alumni association. Um, but uh, uh, self-funded plans can be less expensive 
Um, there's certainly, there's no state income tax because it's not considered insurance premium. Self-funded and, and, and level funded are completely different than a traditional insurance plan. And they can save you money on the flip side. If you have poor experience and poor experience, meaning that you have a lot of claims that were unanticipated that, that weren't priced in when the premium was first collected, um, you could have a higher renewal you know, in the subsequent year. So you, if you have poor experience and that means adverse or, or, or um, unexpected claims, then it could be more expensive the following year, but that's one way to do it. They, but the by and large, like I said, the, the high deductible health plans are going to have lower premiums than traditional PPO HMOs. And um, that's one way of looking at it. Another is you just have to lay all the cards on the table and, to be honest, there's not a lot of different carriers out there. You look at the same plan, measure apples to apples, and you're going to get different quotes from different people. Now, one of the things you got to keep in mind, especially as an individual, is you are applying for insurance. They're, you're asking them to, to give you an offer. They're not offering you insurance. You have to ask them to provide you with insurance and then they can you know, do it or not do it, price it the way they want to. So when you get a quote, you're getting a generic quote. You're getting a generic quote based on, on your age and your zip code and your, your gender. And the makeup, you've got a family, if you got, you know, you've got a spouse or not a spouse, or if you have a child and what, what age is the child, that kind of thing. They're giving you a generic quote. And then they're going to send you an application and it's going to ask you a bunch of health questions. And then once you give them the, give them the application and answer all the health questions, then they're going to underwrite it. And then that's when they price it. So there's a limit on how high they can price it, but you're not going to get that until you go through the entire process. So the initial quote that you get isn't the final price. The final price isn't until it's actually been underwritten. And if you want to, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to fill out questionnaire like for 10 different companies and see what comes back they also say write us a check or you know give us your your bank account information so they can they can debit the first payment and you don't want to do that 10 times either right so that's the tricky part and that's unfortunate from the insurance company standpoint that they would do that but if you want to see what the actual price is it has to go through underwriting Assess what risk you're willing to take on. Look at that budget, how much money you're bringing in, what your, what your outflow, what your expenses are going to be so you can look at that deductible. And then compare, 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 and really figure out what exactly you're willing to take on and what you're comfortable with. Uh, and then definitely give a hard look at the, um, those health savings accounts because they are a great way to help control and manage costs, both pre- and post-taxes you're paying out for expenses, too. Um, because they are attached to that high deductible. And, and I know you have that episode about don't fear it. Don't be afraid of that. Cause many of us think high deductible. Okay. It's going to be like $40,000. And the, at that point, why even bother? But as you mentioned, a lot of them aren't even that high and you can still qualify for the health savings accounts and get savings on both ends. There's, and there is one thing to keep in mind when you're looking at a health savings account is that there are limits as to what you can contribute in any year. Sure. So for in 2021, 20, um, the most you can put in there as an individual is $3,600. That's the most you can put in. So when you get your plan, when you're looking at a plan, you don't want to have a deductible that's 
$70,000 cuz now you're going to have to pay the difference right you're going to have you're going to have a $3400 difference in there that you're going to pay with after tax money if you should you have the you know unfortunate accident incident where you got to have a $7000 payment so you when you right. set it up in your first year you wanted it at 3600 or less right and that includes i like to i like to 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 advocate for a deductible and then 100% coinsurance. So you don't even have to worry about it. You pay your deductible, you're done, and then everything kicks in 100%. A lot of carriers don't offer that. They still want to have you know, 80% or 90% coinsurance up to a certain amount. But if you can find one that's got 100% coinsurance, that's easiest to understand. It's the deductible and that's it. Once you're done with the deductible. And so you fund your HSA up to the deductible and then you're covered at hundred percent. You never have to worry about it during that year. And then you can continue to add after that. So the next year you're going to add another 3,600 and then the year after and keep going. The other thing to keep in mind is you can make lump sum payments that don't have to come through your employer. You can have more than one HSA account. You can, anybody can contribute to your HSA. It doesn't have to be just you. You can get it, you know, your, your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, anybody can contribute to your HSA. Well, and as you mentioned there, it does roll over. It's not a use it or lose it within a year. Cause I think that may be a misconception. A lot of love people have about an HSA is okay. Well, it's $3,600. I, you know, I'm only going to go to doctor one time. I don't want to put all that money in there and then have it disappear. What you're saying is you can actually keep putting money in there so that if something really catastrophic happens, you, you've got that money saved away. It kind of like is a, a separate savings account as you, you know, for, for those. And, and it, it's, it's actually, everybody's familiar with the 401k. An HSA is exactly like a 401k, except that it's better than a 401k because when you spend the money, you don't pay any taxes on it. When you right. take your money out of your 401k, you have to get, you're getting taxed at ordinary income rates at the, you know, the age when you take it out. Right. And if you're in the tax bracket, you know, you may be in a lower tax bracket when you're 70 rather than when you're, you know, 40. Right. And that's, that's a better tax situation, but you're still getting taxed. The HSA never gets taxed. As long as you spend it on medically necessary um, things, then, you know, it could be, it could, it could be over the counter medication as well. But as long as you spend it on that, you're not paying tax on it. So you could, and the other thing is you get the tax deductions. If you put in uh, lump sums out of your savings, rather than do your payroll deduct. At the beginning of the year, I always tell everybody to get 100% of your deductible and your coinsurance and your, co- your out-of-pocket maximum covered on January 1st. So you could, let's say you've got a, let's say you got a, um, your plan has a $7,000 deductible for 2022 and you have $5,000 in your, in your HSA in, in, on December 31st of 2021. Well, if you make a $2,000 lump sum contribution on January 1st to your HSA. Now you have $7,000 in your HSA and you're covered for the whole year at 100%. You can contribute, now you get $3,600 to contribute. So you can contribute $1,600 over the rest of the year. But on January 1st, you have $7,000 in your HSA and your out-of-pocket maximum for 2022 is $7,000. So you will not have any expense whatsoever. It'll all be paid. So you can have more than one HSA. You don't have to rely on your employer. Sometimes the HSA providers don't give you the opportunity or give you limited opportunity to invest the money. So if you have a separate 
HSA that you control, then you can invest it whatever way you want. And some employers might have one that, that has investment options or a lot of investment options. If they do, it's usually limited with mutual funds and that kind of thing. Some of them, like Lively, and that's the one I work with, they you basically get a TD Ameritrade account. And you can invest the money whatever way you want. So, and they don't they don't care. I wouldn't invest all the money. I would make sure that you're 100 percent covered and you're deductible and you don't have all that at risk. But it's an, an it's another option. And then the other thing is, if you're over 55, an individual can contribute an extra one thousand dollars. So, if you've got a spouse that's also over 55, they would need to open up a separate account because you can't do two. You can't do the, the spouse together in one account and add both thousand dollar additions to one account. So you have to open a separate one anyway, but each is available to get $1,000 over 55 every year. Yeah. So there's a lot of advantages. When thinking about insurance, um, what are some of the most common misconceptions that you hear or you see a lot that people discuss? Um, There's a bunch of them. Um, one of them is, uh, and I've got a bunch of episodes on, on, on this. Um, your employer is really your health insurance company. Um, there's over 50% of uh, in, insureds um, or individuals in the United States are covered through their employer. And their employer is basically the insurance company. What happens is you get a United Healthcare or a Signet card or Blue Cross card, whatever it may be. They're basically providing a network, like I said, a PPO network, HMO network, which is a list. They're providing that. Multiplan does the same thing, and you get a card that says Multiplan with a little bug on it. They're providing what's called administrative services only. So they're they're collecting the premium. They're issuing certificates of coverage. They're paying claims. They're answering the phones. They're sending you all the documentation. They're interacting with the doctors and the hospitals and the farm and all that stuff. But the insurance, the money is in a pot in an account that your employer has. So they're taking it out of your employer's account to pay the claims. They're not taking it out of the insurance company's big cash bin over there. They're taking it out of your employer's account. So they're in the, 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 that's a self-funded plan. And most employers are on a self-funded plan. So a lot of people think, oh, yeah, the insurance company is, is denying my claim, right? Or the insurance company is doing this, or the insurance company is doing that. They're just following the contract for the most part, but the employer is really the insurance company. So a lot of times, if you have a, a, an issue with a, a claim being paid, especially if you have an employer plan, the first thing you want to do is go talk to HR and tell them you got an issue. Because it, they're they're the ones that interact with the insurer, and or they're not the insurer with the insurance company that's acting as the administrator. When claims get denied, um, a lot of times it's because uh, the doctor's office or the doctor may be um, charging an amount they shouldn't be charging, or they've miscoded something when they send a code in. There's there's like a gazillion codes, and if they have one number off, and the insurance company looks at it and says, "Well, you know, I mean they." They don't call up the provider and say, hey, did you mean to put this number down there instead of this one? They just say, no, it's denied. You can't, we're not paying that. We're not paying that amount for that, that code. So there's sometimes it's a, a, an issue like that. The other thing is, um, you know, the, the doctor may say, well, we, we'll talk to the insurance company and see what we can do. And then they come back and say, well, the insurance company won't pay for this or won't pay for that. Well, it's not that you can't get your service from the doctor, it's that it doesn't fall within what the insurance is supposed to pay for. So 
you know, a lot of times people think that the, the, you know, the, the insurance company's denying my surgery. Well, they're not denying the surgery. They're not going to pay the doctor an uh, exorbitant amount of money for something, you know, that shouldn't be covered. Right. But you can still get the surgery from the doctor. I mean, that's a thing to work out with the doctor. And here's a, this leads to the next misperception is that the insurance company is paying the doctor. The insurance, when you look at your insurance contract, the insurance contracts either between the employer and the insurance company or the individual and the insurance company. They have no relationship whatsoever to the doctor. When you go into the doctor's office, the next time you go in, any of your listeners, the next time you go in or the hospital, there will be a clause in, um, you, know, you get a clipboard with a pen or you get one of those electronic things with the laminated card. And they said, sign here. When you sign that, you're giving your money to the doctor. You're giving your money to the hospital. You're, you are legally assigning your rights to your insurance benefits over to the doctor and over to the hospital. It's called, it's a legal assignment. If you look at the language, they bury it in a third or fourth paragraph and you can't see it and you don't look at the thing. You just go, yeah, okay, fine. Sign it. You don't care. Yeah. And I have a whole episode on that. So you're, you're, you're giving your money away. I can't remember which episode that is. I can find out, but um, you're giving your money away and you don't even know it. You are assigning your legal right to your insurance benefits and you are assigning it to the doctor and assigning it to the hospital. That's how they shut you out of the process. And the insurance company is like, okay, well, we have a PPO agreement. We have an HMO agreement. We're just going to abide by that. And the, and the patient went ahead and assigned their benefits. We don't, we're not telling you not to assign your benefits. It's up to you to do what you want with your insurance benefits. If you assign it to your doctor in your hospital, okay. And that's when the whole relationship between, you know, nothing should come between you and your doctor. Well, your doctor's introducing the insurance company into the equation by virtue of you signing the assignment when you go into their office. So that's another misperception. There shouldn't, that didn't be, that didn't used to be the way it was. A long time ago before Medicare started, everybody went to the doctor and they paid them out of their pocket. There, was, there wasn't anything called major medical insurance. It was called hospitalization insurance. And you went to the hospital and what would happen is you'd go to the hospital, you'd get whatever happened, whatever surgery and everything else. And then you'd go home and then the bill would come in the mail and then you'd take your bill and you'd send it to the insurance company. And then the insurance company would send you a check and you'd go to the bank and deposit the check and then you'd pay the hospital. That might've taken 30 or 60 days. But you know, back in 1965, that's what you did. Now these guys want their money. Now they won't even see if you don't have any money. Right. So that's why they want the insurance benefits up front. And that's why they want you to legally assign your insurance benefits, but it doesn't have to happen. And you are the one in control of that. So that's another misperception. I mean, there's, there's a lot, but it's just, you know, I mean, well, the other thing is, you know, the, you know, what makes up a dollar of premium. I got a, I got a, um, uh, uh, info, infographic on this one, a dollar of premium is made up mostly of the payments to the doctors and the hospitals and the pharma that makes up um, the paid claims typically make up almost 60% of an insurance dollar. And then you have what's called reserves and reserves go on top of that. And the reserves are for um, if you have a claim today and you know, it's, it's uh, it's August 4th, but the claim doesn't get paid until January 2nd of 2022 because of whatever reason. The insurance company can't pay the claim from money they collected in 2022. They have to pay the claim from the money they collected in 2021. So they have to hold a reserve back. 
And the reserves typically are about 25 cents to about 45 cents on every dollar of paid claims. So now you got to add that on top of the paid claims for reserves. And then the state collects two and a half cents typically, depends on the state you're in, but typically the state collects two and a half cents of tax on your premium. So when you pay premium, you're paying two and a half cents to the state that you reside in as a tax. And, and if you're self-funded, they get rid of that tax. That's that's one of the reasons you use self-funding. Just, just get rid of two and a half percent. That's one of the reasons. But you pay premium, it's two and a half cents for that. And then you're going to pay uh, all the expenses for the administration, right? And that's the insurance company. You got to have people answering the phones. You got to have them paying the claims. You got to have them selling and, and all the other stuff. And then what's left over is about three, three cents is profit for an insurance company. Now, everybody says, you know, the, another misperception, the insurance companies are making a killing, making a ton of money and everything else. Uh, Blue Cross is run as not for profit, right? So they're, you know, I mean, most of there are some that are are incorporated in the, you know the, the the anthems and that kind of thing but they all own all kinds of other businesses um like for instance uhc owns optum optum's a bank and optum is a is a is a network operator and there they do all kinds of analytics and all this other stuff they charge a bunch of money through subsidiaries that they own and they operate and then you know it makes sense but it's a separate business than the insurance so there's a misperception that the insurance companies are making a killing. They really don't. And the states have to regulate all that stuff. So they really don't make a lot of money on the insurance. They make a lot of money on all kinds of other stuff, not on, not on the insurance that you're purchasing. So in the, in the, in the claims that you pay, when you say, oh, you know, I'm going to go, well, I really don't care. I'm going to go spend money over here. Or I'm going to go to this doctor, go to that doctor. Well, everybody in the group is paying for that. Remember, remember when George Bailey had the building and loan? And, uh, and and Potter was going to go buy everybody and it's wonderful life. And he says, well, your money's in his house and your money's in his house and your money's in his house. It's the same thing. You're paying the doctor and you're paying the hospital and you're paying them for, the, for, your, for your fellow employees. Everybody's premium is paying for that. That's how it could spread around in a group. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's 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 a lot uh, obviously that we have to be aware of, and I really appreciate those misconceptions and and kind of walking us through that process and the development of the health insurance industry over time, and then how we can uh, look at and manage our risk assessment through all of this. I know that it's obviously a huge topic, and there's so much more involved. So, um, Scott, how can people find your podcast? and reach out to you if they have any additional questions or concerns or want to pick your brain on stuff. Sure. Um, well, the, the podcast is called Doc's Cost, The Ultimate Guide to Health Insurance. Um, we are on all of the major players. You can find us on, uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, the whole bunch, Overcast, CastBox, everything else, Podbean. Um, and we are, the website's DocsCost, D-O-X-C-O-S-T.com. Um, Twitter's at DocsCost. And um, Instagram is my name, at Scott W. Dolling. You can find me there. And if you want to send me an email, it's Scott, S-C-O-T-T, at DocsCost.com. Feel free to send me an email if you want. Perfect. And uh, I will have those uh, links in the show notes so people can click right to those and on our website as well. Scott, this has been a fascinating conversation about health insurance, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And so thank you so much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Colin. So do you have health insurance? Have you believed any of those common misconceptions that Scott walked through? 
I know that cost is by far and away the biggest barrier for many of us to getting the health insurance coverage that we so desperately need. I hope that you do take some time to look at any existing coverage that you have, as well as look into new coverage or adding coverage through an HSA and a high deductible account, at least getting able to get access to basic coverage and really make sure that you are protected in the case of a true emergency. That's where we can start and then see what our options go from there. It's not an easy thing to look into, but we really do believe that it's critically important that everybody be covered with their business insurance, like we've talked about many times on the podcast, but also on a personal level, having good quality health insurance to cover your needs and make sure that you're going to be cared for if you need. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you for listening. We're so happy you're here and happy that you continue to give ideas and share the episodes and be part of the community. So uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we will be back again soon. Oh, <laughs> oh,